Welcome to the Who Cares Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hedinger. Care matters. You feel better when you know somebody cares about you. And people feel better when they know you care about them. But there is so much more. Mastering caring skills equips you to engage with people around some very heavy subjects when they need care and help the most. And as people respond to you, you will be energized to realize that your care is making a difference. But most of all, when people of faith care effectively, the world is able to experience God's love and care. So we're here with stories and with leaders to talk about grief, trauma, addiction, mental illness, poverty, and more so that we can find the answer to the questions, how can we care better? What can we do to provide the best care? In this episode of the podcast, we talk about an unlikely subject for care ministry, heroes. What does heroes have to do with care ministry? Well, I would encourage everybody in care ministry to have a care ministry hero, somebody you look up to, somebody who can be a mentor, somebody who's been in it before you. Or maybe if you're the guy in care ministry or the lady in care ministry, think about how can you be a hero to somebody else who's who's considering it. There, there's a younger population today that care about this subject uh, more than we did uh, a generation or two ago. And to be a hero to them and to help them find their way into this new field of ministry could be very important. Or maybe even as you're a care provider to somebody in need, they look up to you as a hero. So we're going to just think about what it means to be a hero. And to help us talk about that, I have back on the podcast my big league friend, Daryl Cheney. Daryl talked about his hero, and we talk about what it takes to be a hero. And you'll find that many of the things in this podcast can transfer over into care ministry very nicely about giving time and being present and uh, learning another person's story and and celebrating it with them at the end. So uh, I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Daryl Cheney. But before I get to share that conversation with you, I want you to know that this podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Uh, a lot more information on our church website, bestcareministry.com. Real life stories about care, organizations that provide exceptional care. Uh, go to the website, bestcareministry.com. Uh, you also will have an opportunity to make a donation there if you so feel inclined. And I wish you would prayerfully consider that. We need the support of our listeners so that we can keep providing these podcasts and producing other groundbreaking resources that we believe will make a difference in our world so that people, more people are engaged in intentional caring and, and they're working to do the best at it. Uh, and ministries are making it primary so that people are feeling God's love and care. This world really needs care right now. So let's give the care that they need. 
Well, now let's listen to my conversation with Daryl Cheney on Heroes. See how this fits in with your care ministry. Daryl, really great to have you back on the podcast today. And we're talking about a very important subject, the subject of heroes. And I think you've got a great story to tell, and I do too. So I'm really looking forward to sharing it with people. Well, here we go. I can remember I can remember as clear as if it was yesterday, Dan. I uh, went to parochial grade school, and we were eight blocks away from the school. So it was, it was uh, no bus. We walked to school and back, rain, snow, whatever. And um, when, when school got out, usually around 2.30 in the afternoon, this is when I was about seven, that would be 1955. Um, I would walk home and we had this I don't know, 19 inch black and white Zenith TV, you know, rabbit ears on it. We turn the channel on and, and, uh, although I know I had to get my homework done, um, I wanted to watch the, the rest of the Chicago Cubs game. And, um, it was black and white, uh, television back then. No, no, uh, lights at Wrigley field. All the games were day games. So I'd rush home and I'd get to catch a few innings of, uh, of the game. And I, I, I started falling in love with this shortstop, the Chicago Cubs named Ernie Banks. Never met him at that time. And, and, uh, and you're just watching him play and the way he handled himself and the way he would do a post-game interview and be articulate. And, boy, you talk about a positive uh, uh, attitude about everything. You know, one of his famous phrases, which a lot of baseball people know, is let's play two. And uh, Ernie was a star on a, on a bad team when I started watching him. And as I would uh, watch him and I get to be uh, a game on a weekend, um, I could watch the whole game, the pregame show, and, and listen to the broadcasters, Jack Brickhouse and Lloyd Pettit, uh, talk about him, do interviews with him and things. And then uh, back then they played the national anthem um, before every game and they televised the national anthem before every game and to watch him uh ernie banks stand at shortstop uh, with his hat over his heart at attention military style because he was an army re uh, reservist during the korean conflict uh it just just that visual made an impact on me um to the point when when i went in the army reserves I remembered when I first got there, they asked me to stand at attention. I'm thinking, this is just the way Ernie Banks did it. So I started watching Ernie uh, play and and uh, uh, on the weekends got to see more of him. And he was a player uh, that came into Chicago. He was the first African-American uh, professional athlete in Chicago. And he came up in baseball post Jackie Robinson era, but it was still not post Jackie Robinson era, post Jackie Robinson, but it was still a, a fight uh, for uh, young African-American athletes uh, fight meeting. Uh, you know, there, there were some, uh, some tough situations that they had to overcome and watching him go through uh, his career 
and watching him play, I just said, you know, he could, he could, he had the five tools that baseball experts want in a player. He could run, he could hit, he could hit for power, he could throw, and he could catch. All that, what they would call a, a, a level five, which top, top would be five. Okay, so let me interrupt you a minute. So you're a little kid. You're coming home from school. You bound up the steps. You go in. You watch this guy play baseball. You could tell even as a kid he was special. Everything he did, you wanted to do. Is that right? Everything. You wanted to stand at the National Anthem the way he stood at the National Anthem. You wanted to collect grounders the way he caught grounders. You wanted to throw. You wanted to hit. You wanted, And you're just a kid sitting there soaking in Ernie Banks. And as a kid, you can't tell what's special about him, but you can tell he's special. I would even go and when I watch him and, and before the games when they were getting their legs loose, a lot of people can watch a game today and they can see the, the position players will go out by the foul lines and they'll run to center field so many times, get their legs loose. Some guys run, some guys don't. Uh, some guys take it seriously. Ernie Banks took it seriously. And I would even count how many times he did that. And then when I got ready for a game, if say, say Ernie ran five wind sprints from third base to center field, well, when I had a game that week, I'd run five wind sprints from third base to center field because that's the way Ernie did it, you know. You mean even in Little League you would do that when you were oh, watching him? even in Little League you would do that. And, and you know, you'll see a lot of guys, too, on the sidelines. They'll get on the, they'll get on the ground and they'll stretch their legs. They'll do some setups and things like that. I start, I'd watch him do all that stuff, but I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. So, you know, heroes are very important. They're, they're not just important because they're people we look up to. They are important for that. But as we look up to them, they inspire us. And when they inspire us, a lot of times it affects the way we behave. So uh, if it's a good hero, if it's somebody with good habits, we can, uh, we can become a better person by admiring them. But when a hero is really important is when they engage with us. Now, I love the story of when Ernie Banks came to speak at your Little League banquet. Can you fill us in on what that Little League banquet was like, what the environment was like, what your anticipation was sitting at the table, knowing that Ernie Banks was the keynote speaker at the Hammond Little League Awards Banquet? Well, it, it was uh, it was uh, a kind of a dream come true at that age. I mean, I'm 12 years old, and my dad said to me, my dad must have had something with the, to set up the banquet. He had a lot to do with it. Um, <clears throat> but my dad tells me about a month before the banquet started, he said, uh, you know, our Little League banquet this year, our, our, our featured speakers, Ernie Banks, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. I just, and I, I just was counting the days. And um, I was just, uh, you know, I, I kind of get goosebumps right now uh, uh, talking about it because I just couldn't wait. I, I couldn't wait to, to see him. Uh, I couldn't wait to get his autograph. I couldn't wait to get in front of him and just look at him close up. So 
because my dad and I, we, when he, we would take us to the ballpark, we, I couldn't get down and get near Ernie to get an autograph when I was a kid. It was just too many kids getting autographs. He was so kind to everybody and signing so many. Very difficult. So this was my chance also, not only to hear him talk, meet him, um, but to get an autograph up close and personal. So when we got to the banquet site, it was a day game for the Cubs, of course. And uh, the anticipation really filled the air. It was a big little league that we had. We only had one little league in town, but a lot of kids were in the little league. So I would guess we had close to a thousand people there, moms and dads, sisters and brothers and everybody at the St. Michael's Ukrainian Hall in, in, uh, in Hammond, Indiana. And uh, my dad and my mom and my sister and my brother, we were always, go ahead, uh, so a couple of things I want to just pick up on. It was a day game. Back then, all the Cubs games were day games for a long time. I mean, we're used to watching games today. So many are night games. Back then, all the games were day games. So if you had a banquet at night, the Cubs could play during the day. After the game, Ernie could come to your banquet, correct? Correct. Matter of fact, uh, this day... Um, it was, it was a Saturday and Ernie hit a home run that day. And then he drove 24.6 miles from the, from Ripley field to our banquet site. And, uh, my mom and, and where dad, was the banquet site. It was at, it was St. Michael's Ukrainian hall in, in Hammond, Indiana. St. Michael's Ukrainian hall in Hammond, Indiana. All right. Might have been, it might have been East Chicago. That was, the name of the, that was the name of the venue anyway. It was about the biggest place we had where we could have that many people listen to them. And we about got a thousand kids. Well, a, a thousand altogether. I don't know how many okay. kids, moms and dads were there and then the sisters and brothers and, and all that. So we got, we got, we always were first to these kind of things. And uh, dad knew it was really an important day for me because, you know, I, I love Ernie. And uh, so we got to, we got there early enough. We sat in the front row, and the and the, the 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 venue had a it was a stage. You, know, you could you know they had plays there and everything. So Ernie was right in front, uh, of, of sitting on top of the stage where he would speak from, and there was a a dais up there, and and um, and, and and you know they they served him food up there and everything. So when uh, we were done eating. My dad gave me the program, uh, a simple program, fold over, Hessville Boys Baseball Banquet, Ernie Banks Speaker. And he gave me an ink pen. He says, now, uh, when we're done, he said, uh, you get you get his autograph. You run up there and get his autograph real quick, you hear? And I said, well, he can count on that. I mean, when when he came in, he came in the back, the back of the hall, and the kids just swarmed him. I couldn't even get near him. And I was worried about even getting his autograph that night because when he got done speaking, I knew he was going to leave right away. But fortunately, we were we were up there close enough. And at the end of his talk, he said, well, before I go, um, he said, uh, there's one more thing I want to do. And this is key to your book. He says, I understand. Ernie Banks says, I understand that I am a role model to a lot of kids in here. I'm thinking probably every one of them at least for me. And he was a, a role model of so thousands in Chicago. And he says, uh, so I, I try to be a good role model. And I understand uh, 
that a lot of young kids uh, want to grow up and, and, and be a baseball player like me. But he says, tonight in particular, I understand there's one, one young man that uh, this is really, really important to him. And he said, uh, now this young man that I'm talking about, he said he was a pitcher on the Tigers. And I said to myself, man, I'm, I was a pitcher on the Tigers. I wonder if he's talking about me. He said, this guy was also a shortstop for the Tigers. Oh, I was a shortstop for the Tigers. He's got to be talking about me. And he said, and this guy even threw a no-hitter. And I said, I threw a no-hitter. He's got to be talking about me. He said, so I want to meet this young man in person. I want him to come up on stage with me. Daryl Cheney, are you in the audience? Will you please come on up here? And I was right in front of him. I mean, he can look right down there. I stood up. My dad hands me the program and the pen. And he says, what? He says, uh, don't forget to get his autograph while you're up there. So I, I walk on up kind of sheepishly. I'm 12. He's got a three-piece suit on, all blue, red tie, white shirt. He looked like a banker. Clean cut. You know, no facial hair. Uh, golly, sideburns right to here. Perfect. He was, Danny was perfect. And uh, I go up there and I got my program and my pen in my hand. And he puts his arm around me. And three, some of the things he said during his speech, I'll never forget. He says, when you go to work, you want to work hard. When you go to play, you want to play hard. When you go to pray, you want to pray hard. And, and learn to tell the truth, boys and girls. That way, you'll never have to remember what you said. And I use those lines all the time when I talk now. And that's in, the, in your book. So he puts his arm around me. And my dad used to tell me those things all the time, too. Work hard, play hard, pray hard, you know, learn to tell the truth. Well, that was my dad, you know. I hear it every day from my dad. But when Ernie Banks said it, man, that perked me up, my eyes and ears and everything. So he put his arm around me and he points out to the audience and he says, all right, young man. He says, remember what I just said about telling the truth. I want you to tell the truth now. And you tell that audience out there, what do you really want to be when you grow up? And I said, Mr. Banks, all I ever want to be is a major league baseball player just like you. And I pointed at him even though I shouldn't have done that. And he took my program and he signed it to Daryl Cheney. I'll see you in the big leagues and signed Ernie Banks. Wow, man, I tell you, I shook his hand, walked back down. He gets up and leaves. And I got this autograph, you know, inscribed personally to me. I kept that forever. I got a collage of all this with pictures of me and him and, and things like that. And so that kind of, that was the beginning of, I, I'm going to make it now, you know, 12 <laughs> so I, I, uh, and nine years later, I'm, um, I got pretty good and I'm the first, go ahead. I'm the first guy that, get this, that was got to see him. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still trying to picture that scene of you at a little league banquet. Cause I had a couple of them myself, probably not a thousand people there, but at least a few hundred, but I'm picturing you sitting there at that table with your parents and then Ernie Banks calls out your name. I mean, so you're, you're not only going to get to meet your hero, but he knows who you are. Uh, I mean, what, and, and then how long did it take you to get from the table where you were sitting up to stand beside him on the stage? I mean, well, I couldn't go, I couldn't jump up on it because it was about three and a half, four feet high. So I had to run around to the side of the stage, come up the steps but I did that lickety split. I can tell you that man. I was really, I was really anxious to get up there. And I know my dad, my dad must've told somebody about my, my love for him. 
that was beyond maybe all the other kids in the audience or something. But my, I know my dad had a hand in it because he was all set and ready for me to get on up there. So, you know, nine years later, I'm, I'm, I make the big leagues. Uh, no, don't go there quite yet. Okay. You don't, guys. <laughs> don't go there quite yet. So he signs this uh, program for you. And on the program, what exactly does it say? On the program itself, itself, it says, uh, if I can remember now, I used to have it hanging right here in my office. It, it, uh, it says, Hessville Boys Baseball Banquet, uh, 1960- But I mean, what did he say? What did he write oh, exactly? What he wrote on there, he says, to Daryl Chaney, I'll see you in the big leagues. And he signed it, Ernie Banks. And of course, I ruined the value of the whole piece because uh, I, I grew up learning the Palmer method in cursive. And so I took that back and sat down and, and I practiced my autograph right underneath his twice. I got, I put Daryl Cheney, Daryl Cheney practicing my big league autograph underneath there. So, uh, yeah, that was, and I took that home and I thumbtacked that sucker right up uh, behind my bed next to my cross. <laughs> Cause he said, work hard, play hard, pray hard. You know, I said, well, I got cross behind my bed. I'll tack it up there. Work hard, play hard, pray hard. But it was an inspiration. It was a, it was another motivation for, for me to, to, you know, take that next step. So, so Ernie came, he left Wrigley field. He drove down to, uh, Hammond. He spoke to your little league banquet. He met you personally. He gave you an autograph and we could not calculate the value of that autograph. And the value of that moment, the value of that presence in your life, uh, where where you interacted with your hero, and I mean, there was a lot of other work that had to take place beyond the emotion of that to get to the big leagues. But lo and behold, that that was always there in your mind as you started climbing up through little league, and then Babe Ruth league, and then American Legion, and high school, and Lo and behold, you know, like we talked about last uh, conversation, uh, you know, the the Reds came calling and you made it to the Cincinnati Reds. And we're going to kind of breeze through your minor league years, but you breezed through your minor league years. You did a good job. You climbed through them. And then in 1969, you make it to the big leagues. And that was a pretty interesting year in baseball in and of itself. That's a great year to have. That was the year of the amazing Mets. Uh, That was the year when the Cubs had a big collapse when they were in first place for a while, and then they lost a big lead. But you get to meet Ernie Banks in the big leagues. So this hero of yours, he spoke into your life. He inspired your life. That stuck with you. And then you you made it to the big leagues. You actually made it to the big leagues. So tell us about your first series as a big leaguer in Wrigley Field. You're a rookie. The Cincinnati Reds go to Chicago to... Uh, to play the Cubs, Ernie Banks is now on first base. He's older, of course, uh, later in his career, but he's still playing ball, and you're a rookie. What was it like in that first series? 
Well, I got to the ballpark as early as I, I could because I wanted to um, I wanted to get him alone um, on the field and just thank him for uh, what he meant to, to me and, and how he inspired me to get there. But again, it was the same problem. He was always signing autographs and he'd pass up batting practice a couple times to, to be with kids and things like that. Um, so I, I remember, uh, I remember the first uh, game I got there, you know, I, I could smell the hot dogs today, uh, walking into that ballpark and the, 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 uh, vines and Wrigley field on the outfield. And I went, I went and laid behind second base and looked straight up in the air. You know how you can, when you lay down like that, you can see the kind of the top of the stadium and the lights peripherally and all that. I just thank the Lord for getting me there because he had an awful lot to do with it, of course. Um, so we got a, we got, I think I go for four of the, uh, it's a weekend series. I go for four. Um, and I think, I, I think it was playing cause Woody Woodward got hurt. That was, that was also the hundredth year of baseball. The anniversary 1969 was, uh, the Cincinnati Reds started their uh, first professional club was in uh, 1869. Um, so Woody, Woody got, Woody got hurt or could have been Tommy, but I think it was Woody got hurt. And I'm playing in there, go for four on Friday and Saturday. I still haven't gotten to talk to Ernie. And it was kind of eating at me, you know. He's standing on first base every time I come up, and I can't get down to first base. <laughs> can't draw a walk, can't get a hit. The second uh, game, uh, I let off uh, an inning. Uh, uh, my first at-bat, I believe it was, I, uh, I hit a double to right center field. And it was kind of everything I had in me to – to not stop at first base because I wanted to talk to him so bad. You know, I think well, that would look pretty bad if I uh, stopped at first base on a pretty nice double I just hit. I didn't hit many doubles, so I figured better keep on going. But my next at-bat, I get a ground ball, chopper over the mound, and I could run pretty good, and I beat it out for an infield hit. And uh, so there it was. I just I run through the bag, ran through the bag, and, and came back, looked behind the third base dugout saw mom and dad sister and brother sitting there my dad was a real sentimental guy he had his arms folded and he knew it was a big moment in my life he knew i had to say something it was my idol ernie bank standing and sitting there so i get on the bag and i i put my left foot on the bag and and uh, i just said a real quick prayer i said dear lord thanks for getting me here because at the end of the day, it was the grace of God who, who got me to that point. It was by the grace of God I get to tell the story. And as I get done saying that prayer, I feel a tap on my shoulder as I straighten up. And I thought, well, that's got to be our first base coach, Hal Smith, saying, um, don't get so excited you get picked off first base. Because my whole teammate, all my teammates knew how much I loved Ernie. And it was a big moment in my life. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't Hal Smith, the coach. It was Ernie Banks' arm. He, big old black arm comes around me. He's standing two feet on the bag. He pulls me in with his right arm, and he's got me in a little squeeze. And he says, "Daryl Cheney, Daryl Cheney, how you doing, young man?" And uh, he said, "That's a long way from that banquet back in Hammond, Indiana, isn't it?" <laughs> now this is on first base at Wrigley Field. Your fifth at bat or sixth, something like that. You get an infield hit, and Ernie Banks stops you. Well, I mean, you were taking your lead off. 
This happens on first base in Wrigley Field. This encounter, so everybody in the stadium could see it if they knew what was going on. Yeah, There's, there was about thirty thousand people there. We 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 uh, packed the place, uh, and the Cubs were pretty good in '69. They should have won it, and uh, so it was it was sold out around 30, 30, 32,000. So the the fans could see it, but the, and not many people could hear the talk on the field. Uh, even my mom and dad couldn't recall what Ernie was yelling out there, but he yelled to the, and the rest of the Cubs infield could hear him. You know, he said, uh, but this is a one-on-one encounter. I mean, you two are standing there man to man. And now when you snap, snap up and look at him, you're not a little kid looking up at him. You're a man looking face to face at him. You're both big leaguers. I mean, the dream has come true and here you are face to face with your hero. And I'm, and I'm the same size as him now, too. So yeah, I was looking him right in the eye. But he does. He's, he puts his arm around me and he says, welcome to the big leagues. He says, I knew you'd make it. And I'm thinking, where did he remember that from? You know, I'm, and I don't care if he remembered it because I was, he could remember my ugly mug from nine years earlier. But there was a, there was a little uh, uh, part, a little, little uh, comment in the Sun-Times sports section on the back of the paper, it said, Red's rookie dream comes true. And it was in the paper that morning. So Ernie probably got to his locker and read about it and said, oh, that's young kid. I remember, you know, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't know. But I'm going to go shake his hand when I get to see him. And uh, it didn't matter to me then and doesn't matter now whether Ernie Banks read about it in the, in the newspaper or he remembered my ugly mug. It was a moment, Dan, when um, – a man puts his armor on another man who used to be nine years younger than him. Well, still was, but he put his armor on and he welcomed me. We're competitors. We're major league baseball player competitors. And and the heat of the moment, he puts his armor around me in front of 30,000 people and welcomes me to the big leagues and says, I knew you'd make it. When you think about, dreams coming true and a lot of dreams come true because you get to play against the guy, but to have a moment like that where he hugs you, goodness sakes. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just never forget that, but that's the way he was. And it can just confirmed all along why, um, you know, we need role models. I think, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember if you wrote it in a book or not, but every man needs a hero and every man needs to be a hero. And I, when he, when Ernie did, did that to me, that's what I want to do. I wanted to be so much like him. I wanted to have an opportunity to put my arm around some kids and say, I hope you make it to the big leagues and I hope to see you there. And I've done that. I've done that because Ernie did it to me and for me. And um, I haven't probably done it near as many times as he has, but uh, it, it, it created in me an opportunity uh, to say, uh, this is how it's done because my role model did it and I'm expected to do it as well. And uh, so I tried to, I tried to carry that moment on uh, during my, during my baseball career. Let, let's talk about heroes a couple minutes, not necessarily Ernie, but what it means to be a hero, what it means to have a hero in our life. Uh, I've got a couple of scripture verses I want to read. I, I mean, the Bible talks about this. The Bible certainly emphasizes one-to-one relationships and the influence one person can have on another. It's part of God's way of getting his work done. 
he works his work from one person to another. And uh, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I think some translations even say, so one man sharpens another. But as as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I, I love this verse in Psalm chapter 71. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. You know, that, that we would all see ourselves as the ones who need to pass to the next generation what what we have. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs out, out of the book uh, about heroes. These, these paragraphs are a little bit more defining, a little bit more specific right now than what we were talking about. But, uh, but I, I think they're important to define what we're talking about here with heroes. Having a hero expands our world. It connects the dream God gave us using a real person that inspires each of us to believe that we have both purpose and potential. The purpose and potential become strength and determination when attempting difficult challenges, taking high risk and achieving monumental results. Laura Boswell is the editor of Healthy Kid magazine. She wrote, quote, from Amelia Earhart to modern-day heroes, we all need role models to look up to, people who inspire us to new heights. For children, too, heroes are important in that they help kids overcome fears, set personal goals, and accept challenges. Uh, Rebecca Elder, a Ph.D. at St. Louis Children's Hospital, writes, it's important that kids have these kind of heroes as they demonstrate a way of making the impossible attainable. It gives children something to stretch for. I, I love those quotes. Actually, I even have uh, another one from uh, an old American politician, Henry Ward Beecher. And Henry said, the world's battlefields have been in, in the heart, chiefly. More heroism has been displayed in the battlefield and the heart than on the most memorable, memorable battlefield in history. Daryl, I'm going to pause there. I want Andrew to cut this, so just stop for a minute. So let's just talk about that role of hero, and then I want to I want to tell my hero story. What what do you think your encounters with Ernie actually meant to you? Would you have made it to the big leagues if you hadn't had that encounter as a twelve year old kid? Well. Um... Man, that's, that's a tough question because uh, a lot of people will look back on, on on your youth and they'll say, well, that was a big part of my life. 
when I was a young youth, it was a big part of my life. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have made it without Ernie's inspiration. Um, it wasn't. It, that, that's really that's really hard. To, that's really hard. I, I think once um, once he signed that autograph for me at the age of twelve years old, the, the, I, that's all I needed. But I, you know, as I look as I look back on it, when I before I was twelve, it was what I wanted and what I needed. I needed him. I needed a hero. Not that my dad wasn't. I mean, I, I can remember. Uh, having things uh, kind of backwards. You know, I had Ernie Banks as my number one hero. Uh, Jesus was my number two hero. My dad was down the line somewhere, you know, but I got them all in order, uh, which, which they ended up Jesus number one, my dad number two and Ernie Banks number three. But back in, when I was 12 years old, I don't, I, I, I think I could have made it Dan. I think I could have made it because I was that was good and I was dedicated. I worked hard and everything, but golly, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd have made it number one even that quickly had it not been uh, for meeting Ernie Banks. I think your point might be might be uh, you know where do you where do you put the value of uh, uh, meeting a role model in in, in um, making uh, your dream come true? If that's if that's the case, there's there's if there's there's no other role model I would have had, uh, and and I don't think there's any other role model that would have helped me get to the big leagues as quickly as I did, other than Ernie Banks. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way, and I think the fact that you're having a hard time answering that question fits into what I'm about to share in my own life. A lot of living is not real cut and dried. We'd love to package it all up and be able to quantify and measure everything. It's hard to measure the value of something like that. We don't know if you would have made it or not, for sure. Uh, Like you said, you probably would have made it. But without a doubt, Ernie was part of God's plan in your life, and he made himself available to you and... uh, he certainly added fuel to the fire of your big league dream and your big league vision. When I think of my hero, I didn't think of him as a hero while I was growing up because he was my dad. And I'm thankful that I got to take my dad for granted because he was just so dependable. But he was in so many ways unspectacular, it seemed, because He was just a good guy that got up every day and went to work uh, and came home every day and brought home the paycheck. And he did that for a long time. He did that my whole growing up years. Uh, But when I wrote the book, it was at a time it was the first anniversary of my dad's death, I had a chance to assess his impact on me. And there was another event that happened that helped me see the value of my dad's life. And I always love telling this story like you love telling the Ernie Banks story. There are a couple of my favorite stories. I love telling stories. But This is a story of we moved to Castle Rock, Colorado to plant a church. 
and we were getting ready to hold uh, an attraction event where we sent out a big mailing and we were hoping some people from the community would show up and would uh, come to this event, which was a comedy night, actually, uh, of Christian comedy. And we were hoping it'd be a nice night out and a chance to introduce our church. And this man walks up to me. He was a distinguished looking man, wavy white hair. And he has the mailing piece in his hand. And he said, your name, your last name is familiar to me. Are you from Williamsport, Pennsylvania? And I said, yes, I am. Now, I this was in Castle Rock, Colorado. So I rarely got that question. I, actually, I never got that question, <laughs> never before and never since. Nobody ever asked me that. Secondly, and this is another question I've never had other than this guy. He said, is your dad Bob Hedinger? And I was stunned. Uh, my dad was, like I said, a good man, but he lived close to home. He was the guy like you said in our last conversation, like your dad, he came home from the war. He got a job. He built a house. He just wanted to take care of his family. He lived a relatively small life compared to our travels and things today. And so to meet a guy in Colorado that knew my dad in Pennsylvania, who hardly ever left Pennsylvania, was a really sh shocking thing. The man's name was Bob Newton, and I I asked him, I said, well, how do you know my dad? And he said, well, when I was a boy, he was my Sunday school teacher. And when I went to college, I had to fill out a form, and one of the lines in that form was, what man in your life would you most want to emulate? I said, your dad. Now, I had never heard about Bob Newton. My dad never told that story. I did remember my dad teaching that Sunday school class. And when I began to explore the story, I, I learned a lot more about it. Uh, but I remember my dad used to sit home every Sunday afternoon, stretched out in his chair with his feet stretched out in front, his elbow on the arm of the chair, and his forehead in his hand as he rubbed it from a headache he got every time he taught those kids. Uh, it turned out it was a very uncomfortable experience for him because it was his first teaching opportunity. He only had six boys in the back of a little church building in South Williamsport, Pennsylvania, a little free Methodist church uh, that they were just trying to get up and get started. And the the young couples were in the front of the little sanctuary. And, uh, and yet this young man, this now older man, remembered that experience from my dad. And it made a, an incredible difference in his life. And in, in the older years, that man ended up leading children in the church that I planted in Castle Rock. He had a children's ministry uh, to the to Bible study fellowship children. Uh, his daughter became the children's director at a large church on the west side of Denver, Foothills Bible Church. My dad had no idea. 
my dad had no idea. He never told me about it, but I was amazed at that story. Uh, it isn't in front of 30,000 people on first base, but it's a big story about being a hero, don't you think? I do. Uh, I, I really do. It's really relatable. I can, I'm, I'm looking um, at the book, and, uh, you know, my platform was baseball, and your platform and your dad's platform were the ministries. Your dad, having been a, a World War II veteran, I think the point uh, that it can be taken home from the listening audience is you don't have to be a Major League Baseball player uh, to have an impact on others' lives uh, or a platform. You, you can create your own platform. Your platform is already created by uh, the talent that God has given you and what he's having you do on a daily basis. Your talent, when you went to, I can remember when you went to Castle Rock and you asked me to keep, uh, put on the, keep on, the, uh, on my prayer list uh, the opportunity for you to write this book. And I, and it was it 10 years later, you, you, you uh, got a donor to, to do that. Um, and, and, and now it seems like <clears throat> uh, Welcome to the Big Leagues is another platform for me and for you to use uh, to reach people out there. So uh, no matter what our, our, uh, our, our uh, occupation is, um, we have an opportunity to have an impact on people, people's lives and being who we are and where we've come from is a platform in itself. And that really is the whole point of Heroes and why we follow this format in the book with every chapter is really an inning with the top half and a bottom half. The top half is the big league ball player story. The bottom half is just relating. And as I uh, was entertained and inspired by your story with Ernie Banks, I just thought it was the coolest story that a big league ball player would do that. And, and I know a lot of professional athletes are really interested in using their platform to, to help children in schools and disadvantages and boys and girls clubs and uh, fellowship of Christian athletes. And I want to applaud them and thank them for it. I hope some of them get to hear this story and, and then even connect it with my dad's story and realize you can't measure that impact. I mean, Ernie Banks didn't really know he was getting you to the big leagues. And my dad didn't know he was the man that Bob Newton wanted to emulate as he was growing up. But here are a few things that heroes have in common. Both my dad and Ernie Banks lived like life mattered. They, they took life seriously enough to, to think that it mattered. Uh, number two, they took time to pay attention to others. They didn't just think about themselves. Ernie Banks did not have to travel to Hammond, Indiana to speak to a bunch of kids. And I'm sure he did not make a lot of money doing that gig. Uh, that, that was not a, a high-paying gig for a big league ball player, I'm sure. He, I mean, I don't know for certain, but I'm imagining he went down there gratis, maybe even uh, paid for his own gas. And my dad did not get paid for teaching the Sunday school classes six boys. He was not a professional in any way. He just took his time and volunteered his time to be with, uh, with young people and, and to teach them. And then when they both 
when Ernie Banks talked to you and when my dad talked to Bob Newton and talked to those kids, they gave them hope and a vision for their future. They spoke future into their lives. And then when something happened, they, they recognized and they uh, celebrated the achievement. That's what Ernie Banks did with you. I just wonder how many problems in our world could be solved if, and I'm going to talk to men right now, if, if every man believed he could be a hero and uh, that he had a platform to speak to a younger person and uh, just give him a little bit of time, speak vision into his life, celebrate every little bit of accomplishment, how many problems could be fixed if, if men chose to do that? No telling. No telling. Maybe all of them. Maybe all uh, of them. I mean, the, the benefits would be beyond measure. And I think that's the importance of our story. I think that's the importance of these events. And not, not just that uh, my dad became a hero of mine, who I, I begin to see faithfulness is something that matters. Uh, being dependable, being there. He, he spoke into my life. He encouraged me. He prayed for me my whole life, What the direction that I went in life, but it wasn't because he was a big shot. It was just because he was faithful. He took time. He, he spoke blessing to me. He spoke uh, a future and every single accomplishment that I ever made, he applauded it. You know, he applauded it like your dad did with you, like Ernie Banks did with you. And, and I don't think there's enough of that. In, in the town that I live right now, Occasionally, I see signs around town, mentors wanted. Uh, I see the Catholic charities have that sign up a lot. And there's another uh, organization around called O'Huddle that has a, a sign up. It's always saying mentors wanted. And uh, my wife works at a crisis pregnancy center, or she volunteers there. And they have a mentoring program for men. Uh, who uh, are perhaps in a relationship where their girlfriend uh, got pregnant and now there's a uh, what might be considered a crisis pregnancy, a surprise pregnancy. And this, this man needs to learn how to, to man up and, and be the man to, uh, to help this, this woman and to help this baby grow up. And, and they need men to mentor these men, uh, to be heroes to these men, and not to just give them advice and not to tell them what to do, but just be there. Ernie Banks didn't run your life. He didn't coach you. My dad didn't tell Bob Newton how to live. He gave him time. He spoke into his future. He congratulated his result. Huge. Powerful beyond measure. Well, when, when, when you, when you say, uh, they give you a, a, a vision, they give you a vision into your life. That, that was literal for me when Ernie Banks said, I will see you in the big leagues. <laughs> so I could, I, I could skip, Hey, I can, I'm going to see him in the big leagues. It was, it was very, very visual for, for me. Um, 
So, yeah, and, and to a certain extent, uh, maybe not literally, but that's certainly what uh, what happened with uh, your dad and Bob Newton. Yeah. Yep. So we wrap up today. Our time's about up, but I'm going to ask a few questions like uh, I do at the end of all of our conversations. For, for our listeners today, I would just ask a simple question. Who is your hero? And who, who has been your hero? Has any significant man blessed your life? If you're a man, if you're a woman, has any significant woman blessed your life? Told you that you mattered, affirmed your skills and your talents, cared about your dreams, given you a hope for a bright future. Is there been anybody like that in your life? Value that person, spend more time with that person, look for that person, let it work. But if you haven't had somebody like that, and I'm afraid many people have not, pray for God to bring that admirable person into your life. And then there's the other side of that. Every person, if, if there's an older man listening, who do you speak into their life? Who who listens to you? Who who do you talk to? Who who have you taken under your wing, and uh, and and spent time with? Uh, we all need to do that. We all need to do it. It will be one of the most fulfilling and satisfying things we do, and and it's something we're all called to do. We all can be a hero. Have a hero. Be a hero. Amen. I, I'm, I'm also looking at the, uh, the, the questions at the, at the end of these chapters. You know, uh, one of the questions I've, I've asked people now that we've, uh, I've been out there speaking about the book for 10 years is, do you have a biblical hero? Who in the Bible uh, has, has uh, impacted your life? The most? I mean, there's so many characters in the Bible. As we've done Bible studies, and you and I have done a number of them together, Dan, I'm going through a Bible study now where, uh, uh, where it's the, called The Agents of Babylon by Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, where Daniel and his three buddies are, are uh, taken into custody or, uh, by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, man, when I get to heaven, if I get a chance, uh, I want, I want to, if, if God will do this and it, you know, he, he, he creates everything. So I imagine there's nothing out that he can't do. I wouldn't mind him putting me in a time machine and saying, uh, Hey, Hey, Hey Lord, can, can you send me back to the, the, the day that Daniel and those guys were going through this fire, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar? I want to, I want to see that. Just imagine <laughs> how many people watched a picture of that in their mind or that were there that day and saw all that going on. Anyway, I digress a little bit, but, uh, uh, when, when you ask, uh, you know, who your hero is, uh, do you have one in the Bible too? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see <clears throat> Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. And, uh, we do get to meet them. Yep. Uh, and speaking of my dad as my hero, he used to tell my brother and I that story. And then, it would be time to go to bed, and he'd say, "Meshach, Yushak, and to bed we go." <laughs> and uh, I'm seven years old. I still remember that. Yeah, there you go. That story has to be 
probably at least 65 years old and that uh, uh, a man can tell a story like that and it sticks in you. It just shows the power of heroes. Well, Daryl, thanks for having a hero and telling the story. Thank you for being a hero and, uh, and being eager to, to help other people. We'll talk more about it. And in our next conversation, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some of the hard times that come in the life of a baseball player too, and, and how you need to be resilient when we talk about the, the third inning and, and we talk about pain and uh, when you get shot at with arrows, not literally shot at, but emotionally shot at. So thanks again for talking about Heroes today. Thanks for being with me. And I look forward to our next conversation about surviving an ambush on Daryl Cheney Day. Thanks for sharing your stories too, Dan. Really enjoyed it. Till next time. Okay. See ya. It's always fun talking to Daryl. What an important subject about care ministry. Thanks for listening today. I hope this meant as much to you as it did to me. Uh, I also want to thank Zach Harder, who wrote the opening music and performed it, and Jim Hedinger, who wrote the closing music and performed it. Uh, thanks to Andrew Hedinger for editing and publishing this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Please help us grow by subscribing, sharing, rating, that all helps the cause uh, so that we can spread the word and reach many people. That's our goal to help care ministry become primary, to help people realize how important it is, how many needs it meets, and what a difference it makes when we care effectively. Visit our website, bestcareministry.com. There's more real-life care stories and resources and new resources soon to be added that will make a huge difference in, in your ministry. Best Care Ministries, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, please consider making a donation. That will help us continue and grow this ministry. Well, thanks again for listening, and now take two minutes for self-care. Listen to the music of Jim Hedinger. Think about what you just heard. Think about how you may be a hero or think about the hero you need in care ministry.